Amen. When you are enslaved by something and you come out of that, amen, there is victory and everything that you do reveals that God has brought you out of bondage into his marvelous light. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I've got a testimony tonight of God's freedom and liberty. Praise God. He's able to overcome any addiction, any fear, any intimidation, any peer pressure. God is able to do a great work. Hallelujah. We acknowledge that and thank the Lord. I think it would be good to clap our hands unto the Lord again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. And we're so grateful and thankful for everybody that is gathered together with us on this Tuesday night. Some of you have been gone because of the long vacation Thanksgiving week and so seeing you again is an honor and a privilege and we're so happy that you are here. Did you know when you miss a lot of church you feel it? I'm talking about in a good way. Now if you're not in a good way well that's a whole nother thing because that's not good but I'm just talking about when you're away from church you feel it and so when you come back to church it's a homecoming. Home, homecoming. It's coming home, and it feels good, and the anointing of God is here, and you feel blessed, and you feel like, you know what? I feel the rain falling, the water running, the streams are flowing. I've been in a desert, but thank God I came back, and there is there's strength and peace, and there is refreshing. Somebody say refreshing. There's a refreshing in the house of God. Do you feel that way tonight? Amen. Are you so tired tonight that you need a refreshing? Maybe it's, is it, does it feel like that? <laughs> I'm here tonight and I need a refreshing. You're in the right place. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And this is the refreshing. Hallelujah. All you have to do is lift up your hands and lift up your voice. Praise God and let the Holy Ghost move. Stir up the gift of God that is in you and let the anointing of God strengthen you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter number 10 and verse number 4. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse number 4. Tonight I am going to teach. And that's a challenge for me because every time... I start trying to teach, it moves into treach, and then it, it, it kind of blends into preach. And so tonight, I, I want to try to do my very best to teach and, and stay in my lane. Amen. This is something that we need to discuss and talk about. We are apostolic, and I'm thankful that we are. We're Pentecostal in experience, and we're apostolic in doctrine. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine coming off of a Pentecostal experience. So we are Pentecostal in experience. We believe in the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. We believe receiving the Holy Ghost. And we also believe following the Apostles' Doctrine, which is a new birth experience. And God has called us out of a world. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so there's some things that we need to discuss. We have been talking 
on Tuesday nights for some time about holiness and separation, what that entails, what are the underpinnings, what is the theological underpinnings of some of the stands that we take or some of the boundaries that we establish as a church. There's some things that we do as a protection. Amen. So I want to talk about that. And I want to reiterate that holiness is God separating you, but it's also a dedication where you dedicate your life to the things of God. I don't want God just to separate me without having a heart of dedication. And if, if those two things are separate, then it gets a little muddy. The water sometimes can get very, very muddy because you can look the look and you can dress the way uh, that everybody's dressing. But if your heart is not right and it's not based on a dedication, then it's a tinkling symbol. It's just a noise. And so there's a, there has to be a balance between those two things. When God... I got to teach. I'm getting ready to go into preach mode. When God has called you out, right? When he has called you out of darkness and you've got a testimony. Anybody have a testimony here tonight? Praise God. Anybody have a testimony you're passionate about tonight? Worthy of telling somebody else. When God does a work like that, then it creates a feeling in your heart that says, God, I want to dedicate my life to the work of God and to the things of God. Amen. I, I'm not going to equivocate. I'm not going to straddle the fence and try to live in two different worlds. God, I'm going to give you everything. My life, my time, my effort, my talent, everything that I've got, I'm going to give to you. Praise God. That's dedication. And that takes some work. That takes some commitment. Amen. Praise God. So those are the things that we've been talking about. And tonight... I want to talk to you about what's your label. What's your label? 1 Kings chapter 10, verse number 4. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. It sucked the very breath out of her. She was astonished by the movement into the house of God, by the anointing that followed after all of these things. And a part of that thing that took her breath away that is recognized in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse number 5 is their apparel. So I'm just, I'm taking that as a reference here tonight. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom? This is God speaking with dyed garments from Basra. This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. God said, I'm coming in such a way, greatness in strength, and I'm coming glorious in apparel. And God is talking about his ascent into salvation and how he is arrayed, how he is dressed, and he appears in this way. So tonight, for a few moments, I wanted to talk to you about what's your label. Watch your label. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and goodness. We pray that you would direct us and guide us in the house of the Lord tonight. 
As we give to you thanks, we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the world. Dress is important and style is important. We're talking about what's your label. So tonight we're discussing apparel and the outward apparel and the presentation of how we dress ourselves and how we as the church should separate ourselves from the world that is around us. So dress is important. Style is important. It is an outward sign of our inward choice and lifestyle. And so what it does is it gives outward clues to the kind of life that we live and the kind of people or person that we are. And it should, it should reflect and reveal our devotion to God through our obedience to his word and our godly convictions. The way that we dress should be based upon a a pretty firm conviction that God has called us out of darkness. That is sanctification. Sometimes we, we say words and we're not really clear on what we say, but they sound really good. God is sanctified. He's justified. Uh, and, and we get caught up in the energy of that. And then when we ask ourselves, what does that actually mean? Then we have to ponder that. Sanctification is God sets us apart. He sets us apart for the work of God and the things of God. And our dress should be something that is sanctified. There should be a setting apart. So the way that we present ourselves to a world is very, very important. And it should be based on a conviction, a resolute, strong conviction. And you may ask the question then, well, what is a conviction? In order to get at that, we're going to have to read some verses, both from the Old Testament there's a Hebrew understanding of what that means. And the New Testament, there is a Greek understanding of that. And when you put those two together, you get a pretty good idea of what a conviction is. There is a great passage of Scripture that help us link to that notion or idea in John chapter 8, verse number 1 through 11. You might recognize this story. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives and early in the morning, he came to the temple. People came. He sat down. He started to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they interrupted his teaching. They made a big display, brought her right in the front of everybody to try to, um, try to create some controversy with Jesus. And they said unto him, verse number four, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act, which just makes me very, very angry. <laughs> I know this is a patriarchal kind of society. And in this time frame, men had more power than women. And so here these, these men take it upon themselves to bring this woman. And they, they do nothing with the guy, the man, that was also involved in the adultery. Seems very, very unfair and does not seem like justice. And yet Jesus brings true justice in this story. And so they bring this lady in the very midst of the crowd. And they said, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Nobody knows exactly what he wrote. There's been conjecture that he wrote some of the sins of the people. Nobody really knows what he wrote as though he heard them not. So when they continuing asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, these were all the men that brought this woman before Jesus and the audience. When they heard it, they were convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the least. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This is an amazing story. And Jesus provides proper judgment and justice. Because judgment comes to the men who brought the woman who was caught and taken in adultery. But he also issues a statement of judgment to each and every one of them. And they leave convicted by their own conscience. So we get an idea of what conviction is. It's when something that is right keeps us in a right and proper framework of morality. Uh, you can you could apply this to many, many different things. The world many times will come against us and try to water down our convictions. A conviction is a watermark. It's, a, it's something that you place in your life that, that means something of value. You don't let it go. In some cases, people would say, I would die for my conviction. So it's not a preference. It's not what is your preference that you fill out on an application. That doesn't come on an application. They don't ask you for convictions. They ask you for preferences because it's something that is just a preference. A conviction is something that you value very highly, and it's connected to a truth, and it's connected to your lifestyle, so it means something. You're not so easy to remove convictions in your life. There are things that you fight for. There are things that you battle for. There are things that you struggle for. There's, there's some things that you grasp and hang on to, and no matter what the world comes in and what culture does or says, none of that is going to uh, conflict or tear down your convictions because they're strong, they're powerful, they're an anchor. And so a conviction means something. And so these men were convicted. Why were they convicted? Well, they, they knew they were not just immoral individuals. They were religious. They were Pharisees. They were Sadducees. They knew the law. They knew that they should have known the spirit of the law. And they're coming to test Jesus, who is always throwing at them the heart of the law, not necessarily the rule of the law. And so they knew what was right. They knew the condition of their heart. And Jesus exposed them because you're following rules, but your heart is far away from me. You don't commit adultery, but you do in your heart. And therefore, you haven't violated the actual law 
law, but in your heart you violated the law. And so Jesus points a, a different take and he narrows in a focus where their conscience smites them and they become convicted and they drop the stones and they walk away because they realize they are wrong. And so conviction is mentioned in this passage of Scripture to us. In Acts chapter 18 and verse number 28, there's a man by the name of Apollos, and he is very powerful in the word. He's teaching Bible studies, and the Scripture said in verse number 28 of Acts chapter 18, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So in the passage that we have read in John, the word is convicted. And in this passage in Acts, it is convinced. It's the same root Greek word, convicted and convinced. It's the same word. In Job, this is looking back into the Old Testament, so we're looking at a Hebrew uh, concept. In Job chapter 32 and verse number 12, Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. So even in the Old Testament, the word is different, but it has the same connotation. Nobody convinced Job. Nobody changed his mind. Nobody brought anything that refuted his position. In Titus chapter 1 and verse number 9 Titus is instructed, hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So convict or convince. One who is convicted is convinced of sin or error. That's probably the best definition of what a conviction is. Somebody who is who has a conviction, is convinced of something. And in the scripture, it is being convinced of sin. In these passages that we have read, it's being convinced of sin or error or doctrine. A conviction is something about which we are convinced. So it describes the work of our conscience in making personal decisions of right and wrong in areas that sometimes are not detailed in scripture. There are biblical convictions. There are biblical truths that are very, very clear. And so we follow those. And then at the same time, there are standards. Standards are different from biblical uh, convictions because biblical convictions are very, very clear. Standards are areas where it seems to be gray. There's nothing that has, that has uh, clearly stated it, and yet there is... There are things that we involve ourselves in in our world that we choose, we choose. Everyone say choose. We choose not to go certain directions because we know they are gendering towards something that is not going to be beneficial to our spiritual walk with God. So therefore, there are some standards. So there's, there's scriptural standards and convictions. There are church standards or convictions that is put forth by the ministry in a local church for the safeguarding 
of the people in the church and our direction and our movement in terms of living in the kingdom of God, being discipled in the kingdom of God. So they're safeguards. They're, they're like a guardrail on a highway. There is, there's a movement, and then there are things that keep us from going other directions because it's harmful to us to go that direction. Or a fence that is in place in places. One of, one of the places, ironically, that, that there's not many fences is at the Grand Canyon. There's places that you can go as a tourist, and yet there are there's there's no there's you can get off the path, jump over, and and now in an age of social media influencers, uh, the last time I was there, it was actually kind of scary, and my own children uh, had to tell them, "You guys are scaring me half to death. You need to come back over here." Uh, people fall off in numbers every year because they slip and fall. Why? They're too close to the edge. And they're taking pictures. Look at me, and then the rock slides out from underneath them, and then they are gone, and then it's, it's devastating. And it happens in the Grand Canyon, and the numbers are going up because people are not managing the boundaries. They're moving into areas where it's very dangerous. You don't want to get just right to the edge of some things. It's better, it's better to have some guardrails or some boundaries to say, you know what, that's okay. It's not, and, and this usually what happens because everybody wants to throw this out. Well, is it a heaven or hell issue? Stop it. Is it an issue if I stick my head over the guardrail when traffic's coming? I don't know if there's a law against that. But it's not wise to do that because somebody probably will come by and hit you. So there may be some space there that may not be a heaven or hell issue, but it's better to put up a guardrail and say, you know what, I'm just going to stay right in here because this is the best place for me to be. And if I, get, if I get off of that beaten path, that's not healthy for my walk with God. So, there, so some church standards are things that are boundaries and safeguards that are put forth by a ministry. And then there are some personal convictions. So there, there are some, so you have three different versions of conviction. You have some things that the scripture is very, very clear on. And then there are some areas that it's gray areas, and yet they're under, they're, there's many verses that tell us uh, what you think on, think on right things, pure things, good things. Okay, that's, that's those are theological underpinnings of being able to say, okay, if I'm not seeing good things and right things and wholesome things and, and truthful things and honest things, okay, then I, somehow I'm going to have to create some kind of boundaries in my life because there's a lot of stuff in our world. It's not all of those things. And the scripture said, think on these things. Why? Because it's beneficial to you to think on these things. It's helpful for you emotionally, psychologically, uh, spiritually. These are good things to think on rather than thinking on stuff that pulls you down, stresses you out, pulls you into depression. And then you can follow a pathway, if you're not careful, down roads of carnality and lust and stuff that pulls you away that may or may not be initially a heaven or hell issue, but because you got a safeguard and you got some underpinnings, it gives you the ability to say, I am not going to do that. I'm going to create a boundary. So there are scriptural standards, there are church standards, and there are personal standards. And these are convictions, things that you are convinced about. 
their safeguards and boundaries to keep us legitimately focused on the work of God. And the scripture calls it uh, unspotted. James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And here is the last part of it. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. Well, if you're going to keep yourself unspotted from the world, you're going to need the scripture to help you establish some convictions that are very clear. But then there's a lot of gray areas. And in order to keep yourself unspotted from the world, you're going to have to establish some conviction as a church in a culture that is, that is not godly. Okay, where's, where's the boundaries and where are the safeguards? And then maybe even in your own life, because of your past, because of your testimony, there may be some things that you do that not everybody else does. It's a personal conviction, right? And, and, and you don't put that off on anybody else, but you just say, that's a, that's a personal conviction. I won't do that because when I was in the world, I was so involved in some stuff, and some of it's not, it's not necessarily... Uh, bad or unhealthy. It's just, I, I know myself, I know my own weaknesses, and so therefore, I'm going to establish a personal conviction. Does that make sense? And so when you have some personal convictions, that gra that's great. You can even talk about personal convictions, and that's fine as well. You can have good conversations about personal convictions. You go wrong with personal convictions when you try to put that as a rubric on everybody else, <clears throat> because that's your personal conviction, Right? And you need to be very, very clear when you're talking about your personal conviction. You need to say, this is my personal conviction. This is just for me. This is not something I'm telling you that you have to do. This is just something that I feel is a personal conviction. Okay, that's wonderful. And then the church has some standards or convictions. And then the scripture gives to us some standards. And the effort on all of those occasions is to make sure that we are focused, that we are focused and we are unspotted, as the scripture says, that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world and that we are legitimately focused on the things of God. One of the greatest things that can, that can cause revival to come to a halt is when people are distracted. I want to stay legitimately focused on the work of God and the kingdom of God. I enjoy some things in life. I had a great week. I played games, had a good time, did a lot of stuff. That's one Wonderful. I like living in life, but I can't get into life so much that it distracts me from my calling, which is to be involved in the kingdom of God, do the work of God. That's my focus, and I can't let anything pull me away from that focus. that describes what a conviction is. Something that you are convinced of. Jesus spoke about John the Baptist. Again, tonight we're talking about what's your label. So, what's your label? So, what's your label? Oh. All right. We're having problems on this side. We're talking about a parable. We're talking about how you are clothed. 
and giving just some foundational viewpoints on that. Jesus talked about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 20. When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he should, that should come, or should we look for another? So John the Baptist's disciples, John, was hearing about Jesus' ministry, and so he sent some of his disciples to Jesus. And he, his disciples asked Jesus, Are you the one that we should look for, or should we look for another? And Jesus responded and said, Go your way. Tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And so when they left, then he started talking to the people concerning John the Baptist. We know a couple things about John. John was an anomaly. People went from Jerusalem. They went down the Jericho Road, out into uh, Jer past Jericho, into the Jordan River area. John is out there preaching. He's an interesting-looking fellow. He's arrayed in, in something. And so Jesus is talking about the way that he was dressed and what the people expected. And he said, What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So he was basically saying in that passage of Scripture, people going out to see what in the world was going on, what did they expect? What were they expecting to see? And when they saw John apparelled the way that he was clothed, there was a certain message that was coming forth from that. And Jesus was saying this was part of his message of repentance. So they were coming from the city, and they were coming with a certain mentality. And when they got out there to hear what everybody was coming, this is a man <laughs> that is clothed with, with the very lowest in terms of status. He's eating honey and wild locusts. And what is he preaching? He is preaching a baptism of repentance. And so the baptism of repentance was connected to the way that he presented himself. These people coming were arrayed in their mindset much differently, their status, and they were coming with a lot of different uh, things. Their heart was not where it should be. There had been 400 silent years. You have these religious groups that felt, I mean, they would pray on the street corners so that people could see them. When they would fast, they would do it in a way so people would know that they are fasting. And so they had established a status, a certain way of thinking, and no doubt dressing and presenting themselves. And so when they come out of the city to see John the Baptist, and they, they come upon this man that is a wild-looking individual who is looks impoverished and at the bottom of the social strata, and the message that he is preaching is, you need to repent. 
you're too self-righteous, you're too successful in and of your own self, and you need to repent. And that was the message of John the Baptist. And so Jesus, talking to the people, said, what did you expect? His presentation and the way that he was dressed says something about his message. And I believe in the last days, and we're in the last days, we've been in the last days ever since Jesus was resurrected. And there have been scoffers that have always said, you have always said you're in the last days. When is he coming? Yada, yada, yada. This one thing we know, we are closer to Jesus coming today than we were yesterday. Praise God. Well, that's been 2,000 uh, years ago. It doesn't matter. Today, we are closer to the coming of the Lord than we were yesterday. So we're in the last days. And in the last days, God needs a representation and a presentation to a world. And our dress will speak as loud as our words. This, this is this this, now, this is my personal opinion. I think it's more than that. But I think this is one of the reasons why there is a real problem in Christianity today is because people are speaking the words, but it's not translating to their character, their lifestyle, and their appearance. And therefore, you have young people that feel like you had a bar that was set. You've lowered the bar so low that... What is the difference between people who are Christian and people who are non-Christian? We're doing the same thing. We're going to the same places. We're acting the same way. There is no standard that we should be striving toward. And therefore, what difference does it make? I want to tell you tonight in teaching that the world needs a true representation of not only what we say, but how we live and how we appear. Amen. I believe that's, that's important. What, what's your label? What's your label? Our presentation should be right. Our dress should be right. It should speak as loud as our words. The scripture said that you are read as an epistle of men. People, if, if you're dressed appropriately and God is shining forth out of you because of the Holy Ghost, you are not going to blend in. <laughs> this is a struggle with some. I want to blend in with everybody else. It's not going to happen. Why? Because our world's going completely different direction. And their values and their morals are much different than your values and your morals. You are the called out ones. God has put his spirit in you. He's illuminating things in your life, and that is much different than the carnality of the world. We're not walking after the flesh. We're walking after the spirit. <laughs> We're walking after the things of God, not our own carnality and not our own flesh. And the world is like a, a magnet that will pull you in that direction. You better have some guardrails or some boundaries that say, no, not going that way. I'm a child of God. And so I want to present myself in a right way. We should be concerned about our appearance. It becomes our label, if you will. Whether we like it or not, people judge us by our clothing and appearance. This is a lot of the reasons why some people rebel against what they see as tradition because they don't like fitting in and so they, they, they want to go a complete different direction. And then they don't like the fact that people judge them based on the way that they appear. Well, you can't get away from that. People are going to judge you based on your appearance. And so 
Labels tell you about the inside contents. You purchase food, you can look at a label, you know what is in the container by the label on the outside. Clothes are labeled. Labels should not deceive, should not deceive. There are, there are laws about this and there are a lot of lawsuits because what you put on labels, whether it's food or what have you, should be representative of what is inside the container. And so our outward label should be true to the contents of the inside. There should not be a false message. Now, you can veer off in a lot of knockoffs. You can go to some countries and they knock everything off, every name brand. And, you know, pe people wear fake Rolexes because, you know, <laughs> because it's too much to buy a real Rolex, but you look really cool because it looks like a Rolex, but it's, it's not really a Rolex. And uh, so... It's a little deceptive, and, and you, you find this all over the world. There are some countries that can knock off just about everything. So the label is not authentic. It is inauthentic. It's an imitation. And in our walk with God, the way that we appear to a world should not contain a false message. It would be terrible to be dressed ap like an apostolic and have a nasty attitude. That would be false advertisement. I said, that would be false advertisement. Praise God. I've seen some people on the other end of the spectrum that they really have a heart for God. It's a Cornelius factor. And yet there's some boundaries that they're not managing, managing real well. So on either end of the spectrum, there should be a balance. Our heart should be right. Our dress should be right. Our appearance should be right. So that we give the best picture to a world of a godly lifestyle. The world cannot see inside of the heart. It should be an emanation of the spirit through to the outside. And our behavior should reflect that. If you've got the Holy Ghost, it should reflect. And then we say, I got the Holy Ghost. Well, then look like it. I got the power of God. Well, the look on your face is so sour. I'm not so sure there's much of a power there. If there's a power and the anointing of God is in your life, it should flow out of you. No matter that should be a that should be a major factor. Things come our way, the world falls apart, gets upset and angry, and then when stuff comes our way, we fall apart, get upset, get angry. No. No, that shouldn't be the way it works. If the world falls apart, gets angry, gets upset, they should see something different. And what they should see is somebody that doesn't fall apart, get angry, but understands. You know what? I know I'm going through a trial, but I'm hanging on to something that is great, and God's going to carry me through this. And so, <laughs> praise God, I'm going to walk through this with a smile because I recognize the Holy Ghost is going to carry me through. That should be a testimony that we give to people. Because we, we reflect something different in our dress doesn't mean that we shouldn't reflect something different in our attitude and our behavior. Well, praise God. <laughs> it's kind of quiet. Yeah, you know what, really, what, what's, the, what's the greater struggle? The greater struggle is not the apparel. The greater struggle is the heart. It's the character. They've got to work together. 
We don't want an, We don't want a, there's a story that's a terrible story. I can't believe I'm even telling you this. But it was somebody that, oh, <laughs> uh, let me see, how am I going to word this? I'm not even going to say what position or where they were or what the title was or who they were, but they were somebody that should know better. I'll just do it that way. Somebody that should know better. And somebody's going down the road, and there is a road rage incident that happens. Somebody cuts off, and it was interesting. My daughter was telling me that somebody cut her off, darted into a, a parking lot, and almost ran her off the road. She was going to school, and so she gets to school, and she gets out of the car, and she looks, and the car that darted in like that, it was their professor. And so she told him. She said, you almost ran me over. She called him on it. Good job. Anyway, there's this, going down the freeway, there's this incident where, you know, somebody cuts over, and... And to their shock, the per one person said, hey, I know that guy, just as he cuts her off and then flips her off. That reminds me of somebody that, <laughs> I can't say names, all right? <laughs> but I can't say names because they're in the community. But Brother Casey and Brother Jeremy worked for this guy. And so he was standing out with a picket sign, uh, Californian Stockdale, Californian Stockdale, and he was standing up for something. I don't know what it was, but he was standing up for it, and so somebody pulled up and rolled down the window and just, you know, threw out something. I don't know. Well, it created this conversation, and he got upset and mad, and he cussed her out, and be, the light turned green, and she said, okay, Mr. So-and-so, we'll see you at church, as she took off. They went to the same church. He probably didn't know who she was, but she knew who he was. And he just made a big, big mistake. That's not a good representation. What I'm saying with all those illustrations is this. Our dress and appearance should be right, and our attitude should be right. And if we really, really think that the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost in us is as powerful as we think it is, it should illuminate and it should have an impact in everything that we do so that the world says, hey, there's something different about you because you're not reacting like everybody else is reacting. Everybody else is reacting in a negative way. What is it that causes you to act in a different way? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you asked. Let me tell you, I've got got the Spirit of God in my life, and it doesn't change me from you. We go through the same circumstances and the same difficulties and experience the same grief, but I want you to know this. Rather than turning to drugs and alcohol and addictions and all kinds of coping mechanisms, there is something that can help you out of those situations, and it's Jesus. Jesus is able to help you. Jesus is able to free you. Jesus is able to heal you. Praise God. Amen. Let that never be said of any of us. That was no, nobody in our church, thank God. That was other people. Oh, but I have heard stories. I better stop. This is not good. I have heard stories of contractors when they find out people come 
Like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, we know that guy. It's not good. That's not good. We, <laughs> we want to have a good impact on the community. Praise God. Hallelujah. We want it to shine through us. I, I better move on. I'm, I am going get, to get in trouble. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, I need to exegete that, because some people will use that to say, it doesn't matter how you dress, God looks on the heart. No, that, that would be taking that out of context. It's just simply saying, you can't look on the outside and get a perfect understanding on the inside. But the same thing can be true, that if it's on the inside, it will come to the outside. It will flow to the outside. And so there is a balance that there. You look in history and apparel, there are even colors that, that mean something. To be clothed in purple indicated wealth or royalty. White still to this day proclaims purity. Mourning was expressed by black attire. Uniforms communicate. Doctors, firemen, police, chefs, shoulder, uh, so soldiers who have big sh shoulders. People do judge you by your appearance and how you dress. And this is not easily shaken, and rightfully so. There has to be some, there, there needs to be some form or, or some order to the way that we present ourselves. Look at this. This is fascinating. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 through 6, John the Revelator is giving us in time uh, extrapolations of the testimony and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verse number one of chapter 17, there came one of the seven angels which had seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. That means there was completeness and power. She, had, she was complete, even though it was a negative completeness. There was a great power to her abilities. She was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness, of her fornication, and upon her forehead was the name written mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. John saw this vision. He saw a woman in certain apparel, and it was presenting a certain lifestyle and a presentation that was anathema or against the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, she was in opposition to the church. She was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And it caused John to see that. And he wondered. So we see a lot in the scripture about apparel and the presentation of how we dress. And that brings me to this point. Your style of dress is important to God. From the very, very beginning, in the beginning, 
Adam and Eve sinned. We know that. We know the original fall. They partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were told not to. The reason it was there, they had everything to do with many other things, but there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was there because they had to have free will and free choice. If, if that's not there, then God creates robots. And so he gives them the ability to choose. Now, this is, this is called the theodicy. Theodicy is the study of evil. And there are different types of evil. A lot of people, when circumstances in life hit them adversely, they immediately blame God. How would how could God do, the, how could God, and they go to things like, how could God uh, allow 7 million Jews to be killed uh, during the Holocaust? If, if God is just and merciful and he's a loving God, then how in the world could this happen? Uh, and so, therefore, they create an animosity toward anything that has to do with God. But what they fail to realize is God, in order for us as humanity to be what we need to be, we need to have a choice in the matter. I chose to come to church tonight. Nobody forced me or coerced me. I'm here. I have a free choice. I have the ability to choose. And so God placed that in our lives from the very beginning. So he places something there. They make a wrong decision. Evil becomes part of the human experience. And it's twofold. It's moral and it is natural. So when there is a failure in the garden, there is a curse to the ground which creates natural evil. And because of their decision, it creates moral evil. So there is evil in the world because people do bad things because they choose to do bad things. That's moral evil. And then we live in a world that is very, very unstable. And we know it here in California because if you've ever experienced an earthquake and the earth starts moving, that, that is something that, that will just alter your head for a day because the earth is not supposed to be moving like that. So natural evil is we're in an environment that is very fragile. So there's moral evil and there's natural evil. And from the very beginning, God places this. They, they have a decision. They choose. When they make that choice, there was a relationship with God. There was a walk with God. He would walk with them in the cool of the day. And there was an experience there. And so when they sin, there's a fracturing and severing of that. And they realize that they have made a mistake. And so they cover themselves. They're naked in, in different ways. They're naked physically, but now they're naked spiritually. And so because they feel that shame and that guilt and condemnation, they try to cover themselves. They cover themselves with leaves. And this is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. The eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So God reclothed them. What they were trying to put on themselves was not appropriate. And so apparel mattered. So God reclothed them. And he reclothed them not with, with leaves, 
He did it with coats of skins. An animal was slain. Blood was shed. And from the very beginning, this is a type of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice at Calvary and how he reclothed us with righteousness. Amen. He does the work. He is the ultimate lamb. This, this sacrificial system goes from the beginning. Blood was shed. We go into the Old Testament. There's a sacrificial system. They bring the blood of bulls, goats, uh, turtle doves. And then ultimately we come to Jesus. He is the ultimate lamb. And so we don't need sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And so through Calvary, in our sin and degradation, through the power of the blood, he reclothes us with righteousness. My own righteousness is as filthy rags. What I try to put on myself, the way I try to present myself, Isaiah said, it is like filthy rags. But when Jesus clothes you, he puts a, a garment of righteousness on you. He reclothes you. So there's a testimony and a story of redemption and salvation. We leave the weak and beggarly elements of the world, and God gives to us something much, much greater. Over here, it's self-satisfaction. -satisfa over here, it's trying to make an appearance. Over here, it's look at me, look at me. But over here, it's God's clothing me with his righteousness. I'm not trying to bring attention to myself. I'm pointing others to the work and power of Calvary because Jesus, Jesus reclothes us into something that is greater. It's not weak and beggarly, but it is something that is marvelous and sovereign. Amen. There's also a correlation between clothing and behavior. The clothes you wear and your behavior. Punk style, gothic style, emo style. Human beings communicate through their dress or their lack of dress, tribal looks. You're saying something with the way that you dress. Even going back into history with war, there are fierce images in war, paint, ornaments, and hostile appearing garb. What is it for? To strike fierce and ferocious images that will help the soldiers match the same intensity. And so they array themselves in such a way to geek themselves out to appear ferocious and match the level of the way that they are dressed when they're going into battle. Fashion projects an image. It projects morals. It projects ethics. It projects values or the lack thereof. So the way that we present ourselves says something. And this, this is, I mean, this is not just pie in the sky and Pastor Bradford talking off the top of my head. It goes back into history with a lot of different scenarios and examples. That begs the question, who's in control and who is setting the standard? What is it that you're trying to say? Sometimes it could be, become very frustrating to some uh, girls. I'll just... I'll do a little dabbling here for a minute. It can be girls. It, it can go both ways for boys and girls, right? Uh, but girls that, that want so much to be admired and attractive and, and relate, and so, and so they think, okay, the way that I'm going to do this 
is by my dress. And so that's going to attract the, the attention. The problem is it may attract the wrong attention based on the way we're dressed. I don't understand why I always get these guys that are terrible and they treat me terrible. And, and well, it's because the way you're presenting yourself. Right? So you present yourself in that way, then the expectation should be that's what's going to be attracted to you. Young people, listen to me. You should be attracted to people that are in the altar worshiping, praising God, living for God, doing the work of God, involved in the work of God. Not on the fringes, not outside, not in the lobby, not dressing certain ways that are right up against the barrier that's going to relate to a world. It's going to try to be in the church, but out of the church at the same time. You can't live like that. You're going to attract the wrong attention. It's going to bring you the wrong kind of people. I'm just here trying to encourage you. Live for God. Let the Holy Ghost do a work in your life and you'll attract somebody that will love you. Amen. And somebody that will be good for you. So the way we present ourselves says a lot. Standards display the beauty of God's holiness. We are born into the royal family of God through a new birth experience. It's the highest royal order of earth, and royalty sets the standard. Praise God. I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, he is royalty, and he is the one that sets the standard. I'm not going down here bottom feeding, looking to somebody else to try to help me understand the way that I should present myself. I'm looking to the author and the finisher of my faith who has brought me out of so many areas of dysfunction and all kinds of, of duress and sin and carnality and he's elevated me into a position of calling me into the family of God. I'm a child of God, a son and a daughter of God. Therefore, I'm going to present myself through his royalty and not the world's understanding. Amen. It's marks of distinction being set apart from the world and it identifies us with the kingdom order of Jesus. Now let's look at this verse. This is a good one. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 8. Because there's some really good principles that are found in this. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 8. I'm quickly coming to a close here tonight. Verse number 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also. So there's a connection here. It's the action of the men in this passage. It seems to be that Paul was saying to Timothy, the actions of men mean something, and it's connected to the appearance of women in like manner. They are connected. So what Paul is saying is the first part for men is just as important as the second part for women. Men need to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting, and in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now that's a fascinating passage of scripture because in the middle of that, there is a discussion about modesty. What does that mean? Well, the definition of that is appropriate, 
This is a Greek definition. It's, it's connected to cosmos, which is the order of the universe. God creates the cosmos and he orders it. It has function. It has order. They're arranged in certain ways. And this word is cosmios, which is related. It means appropriate, proper, orderly, seemly. So modesty is something that is proper. It's something that is seemly. It's something that is orderly. It's something that is appropriate. And there are two basic questions that we should ask ourselves in terms of dressing modestly. Does it draw undue attention to oneself? That's a great question. Is what I am wearing in apparel drawing undue attention to oneself? What am I trying to present and am I trying to gain attention from others? And then number two, is it appropriate for a Christian? If you were to ask a third question, you could say, does it support godly convictions? These are just, these are great questions to ask yourself when you dress yourself in apparel. And then, based on this passage of scripture in which we read, there are three C's that help us. Paul is talking to Timothy here, and he's talking about cost, covering, and caution. Cost, God is concerned about the cost here. It does say here that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. So what, what does it mean when we talk about cost? There's, I think this is the best uh, direction for this because... Some people, a cost is going to be different than other people. So how do, you, how do you deal with that? There should be a balance for what we pay for in relation to every other aspect of our finances, including our tithes and offerings. So there should be a balance in every other area of my life to match what I spend on stuff. Now, it's not saying that everybody has to just spend the same, because that's different in this whole area with all of us. But if you're spending stuff outside of your means, and it's superseding your tithe and your offering, well, then it's out of balance. It's out of line. You're, you're, you're trying to spend money for something to <laughs> create leverage, status, compete with others, you, you better be really careful. Young couples, hear me. Don't try to compete with somebody else because you'll get yourself in debt so fast, it, it, will, it will blow your mind. Be content with what you have and make sure you fit within the boundaries and framework to make sure that everything in terms of my apparel or what I buy is fitting in the cost of the balance of every other area of my life. If God has blessed you, then he's blessed you and contain that within the rest of the balance of your life. If you're trying to achieve the blessings of God, then stay within that so God can see as a test. Can you really handle if I give you more blessing? That seems to be the way God works. 
right? I'm doing something, and God blesses me, and I balance my life in every other area, and God sees what I do with my blessing, and he blesses me more. Why is it that some people struggle, 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 struggle? Because God pours out the blessing, but they never extend the balance of the blessing to the other areas of their life. God will bless you and he'll keep blessing you if it's balanced within the other measures of your life. You know why? Because he knows your fist is not closed. And he knows you're going to benefit the kingdom of God with every blessing that he gives to you. And you're going to do exactly what he wants you to do. And that is to test him and see if he doesn't pour out a blessing to you. So I'm not looking at cost in terms of, well, they, they've got this and they got that. Don't do that. That's terrible. That's, that's comparative analogy that will, that will drive you into envy and jealousy. You, what you should do is this. If God has blessed somebody, celebrate with them. I said if God has blessed somebody, celebrate with them. That is how you drive a dagger into envy and jealousy. Praise God. Man, if God's blessed you with the great job, I want to celebrate you because ultimately, if you'll keep that within the balance of the blessing, you're going to bless the church. And blessing the church is going to come in many different ways and forms. So I want to celebrate with you because I see the bigger picture. Right? So, but if you use it as a status, then it can become, become problematic. And it can be become problematic on both ends of the spectrum. I've seen some people, they want to wear just the, they want to wear the name brand stuff, right? And they use the name brand stuff to create a status to separate them from everybody else. That's not good. That's not right. That's wrong, right? If God has blessed you, you, <laughs> you don't buy stuff so that you can separate yourself and feel like you are superior to people and walk around with kind of an attitude that's kind of a, a Pharisee. If God has blessed you, you need to be helpful to everybody, kind to everybody, a smile on your face, and everybody knows your heart's right. That's on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, I've seen people that have wanted to keep their level of whatever it is so that they can shun everybody else. Well, I only, I only shop at uh, the Goodwill. And everybody outside of that is whatever. So on both ends of the spectrum, I've heard people say, well, I don't shop at Target. Why not? I don't go to the Goodwill. You can find some amazing stuff at the Goodwill. You want to know a fun game when you're bored and you've got nothing to do? It's like, okay, you take your family and say, okay, we're going to divvy up. We're going <laughs> to give everybody $30. All right, now you've got to go to the Goodwill, and today you've got to buy the outfit for 30 bucks, and you have to wear it all day. Man, that, that's pretty fun. Because you get in there, and you start looking at stuff, you can, actually, you can actually find some decent stuff at the Goodwill. How many shop the Goodwill for if you're not ashamed? Yeah, good, right? I said Target. Some of you are still boycotting Target, and I, I've, I'm still upset with Target. I don't know if Walmart's any better. And I'm not so sure if you start looking at every company, you're probably going to find every company doesn't do stuff that's right. And so where would you shop? I, I don't know. So, and sometimes when it's a flashpoint, you do that for a while. And I can remember going way back, there was a product that supported abortion, I think. Bosch and Lom, and I, I, 
Starbucks came out, and, and they, they were for uh, gay marriage, and so people boycotted. It's just like the, the world is so, there is no, like, apostolic <laughs> Walmart or Target, okay? And so uh, you could say, well, I'm not going to Target, I'm going to Walmart, and you're buying a product at Walmart that's the values are not good. Uh, you know, I don't know. Pray. Just pray. Pray that God is sovereign and the world has a great awakening because it's messed up, turned upside down. What was I saying? Where was I with this? I don't even know. I'm talking about status. I'm talking about cost. Don't, don't downplay somebody because they don't shop a certain way or shop a certain place. Or, that's, that's not the point with this. The cost should be should match the balance of the blessing that God gives you. That is just, that's a good, that's a good definition, right? Amen. And, and then, and then don't, don't, and then, and then enjoy everybody. Give your clothes to people. Some people come to church and they don't have church clothes. Give, give stuff, give stuff away. Be kind. So in this passage of scripture, there is a modest apparel has to do with cost. And it has to do with covering. What is proper covering? This obviously has changed over time, but let's work off of a biblical framework first. So in the, the biblical framework, there is obviously a greater understanding and a greater sensitivity to how people dressed modestly than in 2023. That's changed dramatically. And so as an apostolic, Dressing modestly also has to do with what we are covering in terms of our body. Where that is, what is that point, what is that guideline, what should be done there. So it's a cost, it is a covering, the way that we cover our bodies. And then the last thing, it should, there's a caution. That's the three C's, cost, coverage, caution. Is it outlandish? Is it ostentatious? What is ostentation? Excessive display, vain and unnecessary show, especially for the purpose of attracting attention, admiration, or envy. So God gives us, in this passage in Timothy, he gives us some principles. Is, is the cost in balance with the blessing of God in my life? Is it covering what it needs to cover? And there should be a certain caution that is not drawing it undue attention to me. Now, let me just say something here as well. Again, we as apostolics, we dress, we believe men should dress one way, women should dress another way. And that position that we have taken, and that's been a long, long position that we feel like is connected to Scripture, is, is, is a greater position today when there is so much gender confusion. My goodness, the world needs a representation. This is a man and this is a woman. And they dress appropriately, and they're a reflection of God creating male and female. So, there are other traditions, uh, religions that that are more uh, they're covered up more than we are. So, if you go into Islam, you've got different branches and segments of that. When they are completely covered, you see nothing. But the eye, it's amazing. We, are, we, we live in America, but until you get out and you travel, I was able to travel to uh, Zambia, stopped in Doha, which is uh, Qatar, 
and you, you now you're seeing different cultures that you don't normally see, and you're seeing it in mass. And so you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is not just a small thing. These, there are countries over here with millions of people, and they've got a certain standard of dress in their culture. And their dress is more covered, if you will, than we are, to the point in some cases where it, feel like, it feels like they're covering up the identity of, more particularly, the women. Okay, so there are some that are beyond where our boundaries are. So the way that we dress in the modest apparel has all of those things at play, cost, covering, and a caution, and, and the covering. So let me just say something about uh, the covering. So I, I want to tie that together with the way some other women dress in the world. So I believe that God has created men to be masculine and women to be feminine. And so you have different styles at different times and, and what have you. I, I think it's wise that we not wear stuff that is too tight, but I'm also not opposed to the femininity of a woman. There's a difference there, right? And some styles, just it's just a big blob. And I guess if that's the style, go with it. It just looks like a big moo-moo. Can't tell... I've just never liked that. Personally, I, I like the feminine form. Why? Because I'm a masculine man. Praise God. So the feminine form is not the problem. It's the way that it is being worn that can be the problem. Does that, does that make sense? Sometimes in history, what comes across the pulpit is trying to, to downplay the feminine form as if somehow that's ungodly. It's not ungodly. It's God-created. Adam saw her and said, this is a good thing. <laughs> and God said it was good. Right? So the masculine form should be masculine, but the same thing applies there. It shouldn't be too tight. shouldn't be drawing attention and attraction. Right? Uh, and even in behavior. You know, you don't need to walk around and show your masculinity. Sunburn armpits. It's dress and it's behavior. <clears throat> so dressing in the feminine form to, with something that shows femininity is not a problem either, but it is in how it is worn. Does that make sense to everybody? And you should ask some of your, your, yourself these questions. Is this bringing undue attention? If it is, okay, I need to, I need to make adjustments. Is it appropriate? Does it support godly convictions? Again, we're talking about apparel. There's an interesting comment, and I'm coming to a conclusion here right now. I've, I've gone too long. In our fragmented society, scanty clothing has somehow become associated with women's social progress as if the right to wear less indicates that we are moving up in the world. And I would say, I think it's more virtuous to put clothes on than to take them off. And it seems to be in our society, the more clothes you take off, you objectify the body instead of value the body. Ooh, that was really good. That right there wasn't in my notes. It just came on me like that. The more you take off, 
in our society seems to objectify the body versus putting something on and being able to appreciate and value the body. Psalm 149, verse number four, for the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. He will adorn you with his own illumination without ornamentation and ostentation. He'll put a spirit in you. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Praise God. Let's present ourselves to a world as if we're following the king. And he's the one that dictates and establishes the terms. I want to be godly in an ungodly world. I want to be modest in an unmodest world. And I want to do it with the right attitude and a right spirit, amen, that is not coerced or forced, but is recognizing it is connected to revival. I believe a world needs more, not less. We've lowered the bar so low in so many areas. There needs to be a reflection of something that says, come up higher. Amen. Don't live according to the baser elements of the world. Live according to God's goodness and God's greatness. Praise God. Let the Holy Ghost beautify you. Amen. He will beautify the meek as we stand together in the house of God tonight. What's your label? My label is Jesus is connected and attached to my life. And I am signifying everything I do through his power and his ability. Lord, we love you and praise you. And we thank you for your goodness here tonight. We magnify your great name. We ask that you would direct us. Give us wisdom in a world that seems to be without. Give us knowledge and understanding that helps us apply the wisdom that you give to us. And let your spirit illuminate every part of our life. Praise God. Encourage and energize every part of our life. We give to you praise. We give to you thanks. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody said amen. Amen. Praise God. There's somebody close to you. Greet them before you leave and tell them it was good to see you tonight on a Tuesday on the rock night. God bless you. We'll see you. Don't forget everything that's happening this week. Choir practice, everything that's trend. Wedding on Friday night, rehearsal Saturday, and service on Sunday. God bless you.